Hey guys, it's Justin. Welcome back to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. This week, we are taking a deep dive into episode two. We wondered how things were going to go after that impressive pilot episode, and they did not disappoint. We get to see more of the Society of Gilead and get into a little bit more of what it's like to be a handmaid. We play a little awkward scrabble with the commander, get some more uh, blank spaces filled in from the past, and we're going to ride this roller coaster of emotions, I think, for pretty much the whole season. It's a pretty intense viewing experience. I think you will agree. So all this and more today on today's episode of Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Let's go. Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast proudly presents hardcore lady quotes. Quotes of inspiration, empowerment, and rebellion chosen, recorded, and read by my kid. I'm not a kid. I'm a shark. From the Mona, a graphic novel by Noel Stevenson. Alright, welcome back to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. We have now had episodes one through three released on Hulu, and everyone in the room, and hopefully you, have consumed them. So let's, uh, let's just run right into uh, the end. Let's go back to a little bit to episode one. And where did we leave off? I believe we talked about it. The last thing we saw was they were walking back and they had both kind of figured out that they uh, were both kind of doing the resistance thing because the last line that they said to each other before she said, there's an eye in your house, was it's finally nice to meet you or meet you for the first time because uh, they had actually talked about something that mattered. Um, after that, it was trying to figure out who is the eye in the house. So she walks back in and she is looking around in a very paranoid fashion because she does not know who the eye is. And we still don't really know who the eye is after two more episodes. So, with that, we jump right into episode two, which opens up with everybody's favorite game, The Ceremony. Jason, it's that's your really, favorite part, right? It's not really a game, but that's good. But for some it is. Yeah. It's a really terrible game. It's the worst yeah. game ever. So, I guess my that's question... That's not even the most uncomfortable thing. No? And like, well, as we get into it, you'll, I'll, well, as we get Later. into it, episode three was like the, I had to watch this late uh-huh. because I, like we talked about, I was watching hockey game and then consumed this later on after already being disappointed. And then it literally <laughs> was the, it was hard to get through. Let's just put it that way. Like there's a couple times where I pause, I'm like, there's 23 minutes left. <laughs> so let me get through this. And so, yeah, so we'll get into it. But it was, uh, this is sadly enough. Not even close to like the top five things that happened in these last two episodes, in my opinion. Okay. Top, top right. five, top I would, five I would terrible things. Agree. Yeah, terrible I would almost things. Agree, like, like, it wasn't even in that, which is like wow. really bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested was... in hearing what your top five terrible things are because yeah. you know you're not a lady. Yeah. I mean, if, if yeah, if you do think about it, the ceremony was kind of the most uncomfortable part of episode one. I mean, you got guys hanging on the wall, but you know they're already but, dead. Yeah, and you're not. You didn't see everything leading up to that. You're only seeing the aftermath. You're not. The ceremony, you're actually seeing it. And so, so let's go back. We got a ceremony. My question was, how often does the ceremony happen? And I really didn't know, because I don't remember from the book if she ever talked about how often they did it. They haven't I don't said think in the so. Sh- they haven't said in the show. 
No. So. Yeah, I don't remember either, but I remember thinking in the first episode, oh, God, I hope they don't have to do that all the way through ovulation every month. Well, I know, and that was why I liked having two women on the show, because you guys were having this conversation when we were going before, talking out for the show about when they would do it and how often, and I was just kind of like fascinated yeah. watching you two talk about things that I have So there is also, no too, there's about. an Orthodox Jewish custom or law, depending on how you interpret it, that after you get your period, you have to wait seven days with no blood before you have sex again. And the idea is that, okay, the rabbis must have known that then you would be at peak fertility when you were ready to go again and you've had this break where you couldn't have sex during your period and you couldn't have sex the week after. So that leaves this two-week window when you're super fertile because people mm-hmm. ovulate at different times. And so Bonus, just you get extra night. horny then too. Exactly, right? Like what you can't have, you're waiting right. and waiting and waiting. Um, ah. And so there's got to be something, I think, with the ceremony where it's not, it can't just be once because they wouldn't miss the right. window. Yeah. They've got, it's got to be multiple especially, nights. like people are not fertile. Like they right. are really... They are really, this sounds terrible, working hard for it. But so you would really need to, you need to make the most out of every day. So are we assuming like daily? I'm assuming daily for at least a week. Yeah, at least a week. All right. If they're really trying to make the most of their time. uh, That makes sense. I mean, if the the entire thing that this is built around is reproducing, I guess, then you got to go when you can go. Something I like, I haven't been reading a lot of the commentary because I didn't want it to cloud my own opinion and sure. not know what my own thoughts were but something I like about a couple of the articles I've read is that they're very uh, upfront about calling it rape and that she is ceremoniously raped every month and you, you have to yes. kind of remember that especially I think Jason when you're saying that's not even the worst thing anymore that like this ceremonial yeah. rape is not the worst thing in her life there are actually worse things that happen on a daily basis that she has to kind of deal with or forecast or yeah. imagine or I think it's in the book um, where she the the character says it's not really rape because I knew what I signed up for, but like I think that's a sign of the time the book was written in the early eighties sure. and in Berlin. And today we would be like, no, that is absolutely rape. Your choices were do that or die. That is not a real. That is a false choice. So it's definitely still rape. And I, I think that's just a sign of the different times we live in from when the source material was actually written. To build on that, I was, we were talking earlier about the interview I read today, and I think it was the same interview where she said Margaret Atwood. They were talking to. Um, they asked her about that, and she said, and I didn't know because I didn't remember from the book or the show. They don't really allude to this that she had a choice. So apparently, like they have a choice that they can be handmaids. Or they can go to the colonies, essentially, I guess. You're either handmaid if you're able, or you're an aren't unwoman. The, aren't the colonies... Yeah, the colonies are where you're colonies sent to like, you're clean, sent up toxic to clean up toxic waste, waste and, and die, yeah. essentially. Die a horrible, so She said, horrible so yeah, death. she has a choice, but it's not a very good one, was her point. So. And our, our marriage laws used to not allow rape in marriage, or not not count rape in marriage. And so that's part of our history, too, right? That you used to be able to say, well, if, if it was your husband, then you had the choice to marry him. Therefore, you don't have the choice on a nightly basis or daily basis. Recently, the laws have been adjusted to make it way harder to prosecute husbands for and significant others for raping their wives. Really? Thanks for that. It's great. Here. Really? Yeah. And they made it legal in Russia. Explicitly. Oh, yes, Russia, I do remember that headline. Rush, shortly, shortly after that, it changed Russia's a little got bit here, some too. It, touched, it changed subtly here, but it'll have a big impact on prosecutions. Fun. Yeah. So we open up with that, and now we're uh, walking. We should, They go to the wall again, because they're obviously doing their daily shopping, and... The only thing I can think of at the when they're hanging at the wall is the two younger girls seemed very kind of blasé about kind of everything. They yes. were just hanging there, and then the one girl's like, okay, I'm going to go home now. And you're like, okay, just a very nonchalant. 
And so yeah. I just that kind of caught me off guard. And then really, they are walking home, and this is the first time we're really uh, introduced to the resistance part of this show. So Avglin and Offred are walking back to the their house, and or their houses, and Avglin starts to kind of recruit Offred to be in the resistance. And as they're walking, all of a sudden the big black van pulls up, and it kind of both have this look on their face like, uh-oh. And they know what's coming. And I don't think the viewer necessarily, unless they know the story, knows what's coming. And that is when the first time we see someone actually taken off the street by the... Are they called the eye? Is that what the, yeah. they're called? called they the do eye. imply it in the first episode. So you kind of know what the black van is for. Right, you just don't see do it actually happen yes. to anybody. Yeah, so yeah. like I think that's enough to inform the viewer that like the reason they freeze like that is because they're like, is it here for me? Like right. everybody, knows, would, yeah. everybody would be terrified. It's there for them. And right. I think that Alfred is that nervous when all she's done really is had a very minor conversation, right? It's not like she is actively. I think done she's a whole nervous lot. about having interacted with uh, Nick. Oh, maybe because all yeah. of that is not That's allowed. True. They're not supposed to talk to each other. Well, I mean, in the first episode, and they, you look at like, she talked to Nick. She ran outside the house. Yeah, like that's like huge. She like ran outside the house uncovered right. at night. Yes, yeah. So I think well, there's so much for her yeah, to be afraid there's of. So there's, much can't that, be like, one if, thing. If Nick is the eye in her house, of course she would be. You know that then she would really be in trouble. That's significant. Um, so I think that she is afraid about that, and that she's just been talking to Avglin about this resistance thing, and as. Is she spying for the eye, and then now they're coming to get her like that quick? Well, there's no cell phones. Well, it doesn't matter. How would there might know? be technology? There's obviously technology because it is it is now. I feel, like, I feel like they got rid of all of it. <laughs> yeah, in in her other, the other ones are much the more sci-fi and books, and the, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they, you would think that at least the powerful people and the, the government might have a way to yeah. do that if they were wanting to. I don't Maybe think I've even seen a refrigerator tag. in and this the ear show. Tag, very nice. <laughs> It's a good thought. I didn't even think of that one. So then, after the person, the guy, they, get, they basically just grab a guy off the street, and both of the handmaids are just kind of looking like, oh, God, I hope it's not me, especially Avglin, as you said when we were talking she earlier. terrifying. Like, right. really. Because she is in the resistance, and yeah. it gets real they bad They got one of them. Later. So now we're going back to uh, Offred's house, and this scene is very interesting because it's kind of her and Nick alone together, in the room, I think Serena Joy is there in the beginning, and she walks out, and then Nick comes in. And I thought the really cool thing about this scene was she was she was coming back from the walk, and so she was taking her jacket off and all this stuff, and she's showing a little bit of leg, like her skirt is pulled up when Nick comes in, and they're both talking, and she just leaves it there, and is kind of sitting directly across from him, and is kind of giving him this look, like, like are say you something. looking at it? Or, you know, <laughs> like there's this little flirtatious thing, kind of, and like she's still. Because we don't know, still trying to feel him out. And I think maybe she's using that as kind of a way to see who is this guy and what does he believe in. Because yeah. if he's part of the bigger picture and the, you know, the overall government guys and is on board with him, you think he would be a little more assertive yeah, you about would, you not looking or saying You would think that he would like, shame her immediately. Right. Even though it's a very modest amount of leg, like yeah. barely. <laughs> it's knee, like just right? at the top of her knee. <laughs> yes. And so this is also when... Um, he warns her about talking to Avglin and tells her that she's kind of bad news and to not trust her. And also says this is when she gets the invitation to meet the commander. The commander wants to see you. To which she is like freaking out. Because again, you don't know why anything is happening. That's the one thing that I've noticed with this show. You're like, it puts the viewer like 
in the shoes of the handmaids amazingly. Like, you, I've never watched a show where so many things, like almost everything means something. And you don't know who to trust and what to believe. Everything that everybody does has a, con- a possible consequence and an outcome. And you just, nobody knows which way to go and where who to trust. Well, it's another forced choice, right? Because she can't say no, and but she also is not supposed to say yes. And so she's really stuck. Yeah, it's completely a false choice. Yes. So she's definitely trying to figure out, uh, adds another layer of who to trust. Because now she's got the commander doing something the commander's not supposed to do, which is meet with her alone on top of... Nick, who she doesn't really get yet, on top of Avglin, who is part of the resistance trying to recruit her. And the commander is basically immune from consequences for what he's doing because it would take, I think they said in the book, three women to make their testimony admissible in court. Really? Yeah, well, later she one doesn't man, get any testimony. <laughs> yeah, one man saying something would count as a witness, but in order for a woman to count well, as a witness or for their testimony to be deemed admissible, it would have to be three of them that agree that all saw the same thing. So it doesn't matter if they're caught. It doesn't matter for the commander because he could always say she just showed up. Right. And well, it is. He's one of the more powerful ones. Yes. Least, as we've heard yes. in the other episode. So uh, the next scene they see is uh, Offred's bedroom where she is like freaking out because she's trying to figure out why does the commander want to see me? He's not supposed to want to see me. I'm not supposed to go see him. This, this has to be bad. And the one note that I made was they show the shot from the floor up and they show her shoes. And this is mentioned a lot in the book, especially when she first gets put in the house about the, she talks about the ceiling fan oh, yeah. and, the, and shoelaces are missing. So it's all about this, not them not being able to kill themselves yeah. or commit suicide. So you would see that kind of, you were at a mental facility or some other, you know, like jail, they make you turn in your shoelaces. And so there, it, it was just a very cool shot from the floor up showing that they have taken all these things away. He's so they clearly no a prisoner. Choice. Correct. So they are, they are prisoners. Um, so she's just sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. The next scene we have is the birthmobile, which I love that that's what it's called. It is <laughs> hilarious to me. Um, the Martha comes in, like, super excited, like, hey, birthmobile day. She was not super excited. Oh, she was, too. She she was, was very better. happy. I mean, she, was she wasn't like, like cold. No, yeah, no, she no, was definitely uh, clearly way more excited than normal, but sure. she wasn't, like, well, going really from, smiling you know, much. Aren't you going to take your lunch? Are you going to take him his lunch? I'm just like being really cold to her to like, yeah. blessed be the day. Here go. Birthmobile. I don't know. It was just hilarious. And the birthmobile scene is pretty much played out just like it is in the book. They're riding in the van and it's red inside the van and it's all the handmaids kind of. It's like being in a talking. womb. Like the shot inside the van really oh, made me think of well being played. in a womb. I was like, that's, well played. that's very creepy. True. And so her and Avglin are talking a little bit and you kind of get a little more uh, insight into Avglin. Um, and she does make the one comment where they, she says, not bad for a rug-munching gender traitor, which is the first time you hear the term gender traitor in the story, which will mm-hmm. definitely come back later on um, for Avglin and not in a good way. So then we find out that Janine is the one having the baby. And everybody knows that Janine is the best, so we're super excited. <laughs> so we get to the house, and it is posh. It is decked out. And there's decorations and there's cake going on. Or was it macaroons? It was like a macaroon tower. It was like a macaroon yeah. tower. pyramid almost. Yeah. Like a tree. And so that I, that was the first thing that struck me. It was like very Marie Antoinette. If you've ever seen that movie. Yes, and it, definitely. It's just filled with cakes. Very decadent. Yeah. All the, pastel, all the pastel treats you can imagine. Yes. And so we walk in and it's kind of bizarre because 
we know Janine is the one having the baby, but when we walk in, we are kind of thrown a curveball, if you will, and that there you see the wives with someone on the floor, and you're like in your head, you're looking for Janine, and the lady they show is 100 percent not Janine, older and not older Janine, not lady. missing an eye, <laughs> telltale sign, definitely. And eyes. so you're like, that's not Janine. What is going on here? Is this like a multiple birthing place? Me and Tana, we talked about yep. had the same thought. I was like, so is this like? They have multiple yeah. things going on because there's lots of noises going on everywhere, and so you don't really know. Um, well, and they're and they're making the like Lamaze breathing sounds. Yes, in there. they're like making and encouraging doing her. birth things. Yes, in the that wives room, are just clearly. going through this with her, going through this whole ritual, and so you yeah. think that's what so it is. It's, it's yeah, it looks like a birth is happening in there. And was that the scene where she's eating the grapes? Like for there no was somebody like with a bowl of grapes in there. Yeah, it really threw me off. I, still, I think it was Mrs. Waterford. Oh, was it? Okay. So then we go upstairs, and that's where we find Janine, who is in labor, hardcore. She did an amazing job. Um, Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, even after you've gone through it, at least for me, probably not the case for everybody, you only half remember it because you're in so much pain and you're going through such a difficult thing often for a really long time. You kind of detach after a bit and... uh, well, you know, you maybe are on painkillers. You maybe have been in the most intense pain of your life for 20 hours. Um, there are so many things going on. You don't remember it very well. But as soon as I saw her and and heard her, it kind of all came rushing back. Yeah. Um, it was real accurate. Um, except for, you know, like they were clearly there just like at the very, very, very end. Sure. Like, don't get any ideas, people. It's not that fast. <laughs> um yeah, it was it Wait was a minute, crazy. Are you good. telling me that it takes longer than like ten minutes to <laughs> for most people? Yes, although what? I have heard stories. That's crazy. Um, yeah, she that actress did a great job, and I have like a whole new respect for that actress now she because she did fantastic, she and that has got to be a, the most horrible thing to try to have to depict accurately and like stay in the moment at the time, and like it's very physically difficult and awkward. And yeah, I was gonna say like there, yeah, just and the in this you particular have to do with your scene, body yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you have to like you have to show all of these things happening to you without being able to really describe them and like so many different physical things happening at the same time. It's just I was I was very impressed. She was really good. So we get there, and Offred kind of comes around this large group of handmaids. Like I yeah, guess like maybe t- all like the handmaids women in the in town, like they just got them all there. And she comes around and she's sitting next to Janine and holds her hand and touches her stomach. And then we go into this flashback scene where it is her off-red, June, in her former existence, I guess you could call it, in labor, on her way to the hospital with Luke, her husband. Uh, They pass some protesters, so you know that kind of the government stuff is kind of in flux. And that, I I was pausing thinking, are they, what are they protesting? Are they does somebody do abortions at the hospital? Or are they protesting? That was my first thought. But then the protesters looked pretty peaceful as they arrived. And that made me think, like, maybe it's because people are already going so quickly and fertile that they're there, like, praying at the hospital or something to that effect. So kind of, because they seemed... Right, because there were kind of a mixture of prayers. Yeah. They show at fir- they at show first, it looked more like... Yeah. And yeah. people praying. Yeah. And so you were kind of like, are those people against each other? Are they yeah, it was protesting not, it was and doing the same? Uh, yeah, I didn't really understand that, but I don't know if I'm supposed to yet. Yeah. Maybe it was like the Pepsi protest, right? <laughs> for like, for like, come together. <laughs> Let us all learn. Somebody called the Jenners. <laughs> I didn't see the commercial. I did That's hear good. about it. I don't think I need to see it. No. You don't. 
It's involved over. a Kardashian, am I correct? <laughs> yes, Don't by proxy. Although I did read something totally interesting, and this was in the Margaret Atwood interview, that apparently Kim Kardashian like threw in some money for this movie about the Armenian genocide. I did not oh, realize yes. that very they were Armenian. I did yes. not know that. They just visited Armenia recently. And she threw in this little thing at the end of this interview about how they were asking, you know, how this could take place in such a society and what do people do when they find out that this kind of thing starts going on where people are just getting killed left and right. And she talked about the Armenian genocide movie that's coming up. I've seen a couple trailers for it and how the Kardashians, somebody came to their church when they, when her father, I guess, lived, whoever, I'm not sure what part of her her family, while there's a father. Okay. When he lived, when they were in Armenia and they came to the church and said, everybody here is going to die. You guys need to go. Like, tomorrow, everyone in here is going to be killed. And some some people, like, in this society, in the show, were like, oh, you know, nothing's going to happen. It'll be fine. And they said her father believed it, and so they got out. And that's how they got here. And then the next day, everybody, they came and killed everybody. And I was like, that's crazy. Because, A, it puts a little human face in the Kardashians, which I don't know if I approve of. But it's okay, you know, because they do their best to take it off every chance they get. Uh, but, yeah, that was just an interesting note that I just thought about um so we go back to labor in the hospital and there's protesters outside we get to the hospital uh we don't see much of the hospital we just get the room view at first and she's had the baby and i thought it was really cool seeing because the baby is obviously darker with her and it's kind of juxtaposed to off our june at the time and is she, and she's a very pale person. Yeah, she's very, yeah, very she's pale. A very fair skinned. And Luke, much like every husband would be, is sleeping on the couch because <laughs> that's how you roll. Uh, I remember that very vividly. Like I've never been more tired in my life than when I was at the you hospital. Poor thing. I know, right? And I didn't even do anything <laughs> at all. It's been tough for you. I, I remember the first time they brought her in for a feeding. It was three o'clock in the morning, and they don't care. Like they care, but they don't care about you, the husband. They just. Bam, lights on. Somebody needs to eat. And I was like, oh, my God. So Luke is out on the couch, and the nurse comes and takes uh, the baby, Hannah, and they're walking down the hall. And this scene is awesome because they're walking down the hall, and they're approaching the nursery. And as soon as they get to the nursery, it's like, no babies in the nursery. And you're like, what's going on there? And she asks her, and she said, oh, it was a rough night. And, you know, four are in the ICU and two are with God, with I God. think is what she an says. Word and you're like, oh, because then it all of a sudden... Because they don't address the birth plague much, like by name. They talk. They don't really talk about the infertility. It's just kind of is in that society. So, it, in the current time that you're watching, so it kind of brings it all back to the fact that normally that would be chock full of babies. And so, just to see that was just a bam punch in the gut, and you're just really in the moment of how bad things really are. Yeah, I think and, what and that, that did. Oh, sorry. Go for it. No, go ahead. It took it out of the. Because there's so much being written right now about how it relates to today and how this could happen to us. And for me, that took it one step back from that. Because I think for right now, a lot of the things that are said about women and the, the, the restrictions that are placed on our bodies are not based on a birth plague. They're just based on wanting to restrict women's bodies for whatever reason mm-hmm. or for a sincere belief that you know abortion is morally wrong. But it's not that same we don't have enough babies problem. Like there isn't an there isn't a concrete fear. It's more an abstract fear of what would happen if we had women have to have this choice. And so I thought it made it a little bit more I guess actiony and less kind of hypothetical about society to think, oh well they were not that it makes it okay, but oh they were really afraid that they were going to die out or something rather than that there was a probable fear right. of we're not gonna be able to like sustain the 
human race, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because I know in the book, it's more contained to the specific part of the United States. Because in the book, it's not even the whole United States. It's very much a, like a Boston. large portion of the United States. But there's still like fighting going on. But then like the rest of the world, I don't remember if they had the same thing. Like if it was just concentrated to the United States or if the plague had kind of gone worldwide. I don't remember. I don't think it said. I don't remember it ever talking about the rest of the world except when it mentions the Jews that didn't make it back to Israel. Yeah, that's right. the only right. time I remember it mentioning the, outside of like, America and like Canada. Yeah. yeah. So that scene is crazy, and it only gets crazier from there. Did um, you notice in that scene that it seemed well? What made me think it had been going on the like low birth rate had been going on for a long time was there was hardly anybody working in that maternity oh, yeah. ward yeah which is weird yeah and creepy it made the it made the scene with the baby napper way Hospitals. creepier because she gets out june gets out into the hallway and like there's nobody there like the three people that were working all went to chase where they thought the kidnapper was and so there's just nobody there and that makes the confrontation that happens way scarier well, and then you also. And she is way calmer than I would have been. Right. Well, and you also. That's kind of a thing that you don't think about about the unintended but natural consequence of the low birth rate and the plague is you don't need as many people to work at a hospital yeah. that no one is giving birth at, right? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I hadn't even thought. I told just now, like, we don't need a large staff because they're not, the not babies. Board. Yeah. Yeah. So the next thing we have is. Uh, what do we have? Oh, so at some point in the Janine birthing scene, and I forget when it is, Ofglen tells Offred when they're talking about the resistance stuff. Oh, I know what it is. She, Ofglen, is trying to get Offred to get some information from the commander. And yeah. she wants... I, I'm trying to remember. She wants her to get the information from the commander, and she doesn't want to get the information. At the birth of Janine, she says something to her, and it ends with Ofglen basically saying, I can handle it. I'm sneaky. Which, if you've watched any kind of horror movie ever, you know that that means that Ofglen is hosed. She basically said, I'll be right back. Exactly. And I knew that's what I wrote down. I was like, this is how you know she's in trouble. <laughs> so you know right at that moment that something terrible is going to happen to her. And they do not let us down in the terrible department at all in this show. They have ratcheted up the intensity. I, I don't even yeah. know if there's a number. Like going from like the pilot episode, the first episode was great, but this second episode just dialed it up. And I was sitting there watching it. Like I had a blanket up, basically a blanket like, over your head. Holy, not over my head. I wasn't full <laughs> over my head, but I was like, oh my gosh, because it was just like it is insane. Uh, so we, we have that line, which I thought was great. So you know something bad is going to happen to Ofglen at some point. You're just not sure what. Because you know she's the one that's in the resistance. And she's very cavalier kind of about the fact that she is in the resistance. But she was so careful when she was first feeling out of Fred. Like, I, I felt surprised that she seemed so cavalier when when it came out that they were both basically on the same side and thinking similarly. She did seem very cavalier. And I was like, but she was so careful before because we thought she was a pious bitch. <laughs> that's true uh, yeah I, she, she does kind of let go yeah and kind of yeah, get let her guard down or something yes yeah, she did and not not good for her uh so then we all we get to the mean girls scene which is the wives which is uh serena joy and three other wives i believe or two in this parlor because they're not participating at this point in the janine birthing part 
And so Offred walks in there because she's, I don't even know why she's not in the other room, but she's just off and she walks in and there, one of the wives asks her, would you like a cookie? In a very kind of condescending, like, because again, as if they're talking to a dog or a small child. Right, exactly. Yeah. Would you like a cookie, Offred? And it was almost like, yeah, you would offer yeah, a child it's a cookie. the way you would talk to a two-year-old. And, and they respond the same way, right? She's so well-behaved. So yeah. that's the same way that you yes. respond to her. That's how, that's how people talk about dogs. And you saw that look on her face like, I can't believe that somebody just asked me and that I have to deal with the fact that somebody needs to ask me if I can have a cookie and that I have to get permission to have a cookie. And she just has that look on her face like, this is awful. And I can't believe this is my life. She's really regretting that turn into that doorway. Yeah, exactly. And Serena Joy kind of pauses for a minute after the initial question is asked and is, Offred, would you like a cookie? And it's very... And so disdainful. She clearly is all, also loathing this moment. Yes. Like, why are you bothering my handmaid? And then they had the great shot where it's all three of them looking at her. And that's when I totally thought of Mean Girls because the one wife is just kind of sitting back there like with her head cocked, kind of giving her this side eye kind of glance. And you're just like, ah, it's terrible. Like you already have all the power and to feel the need to like throw it in their face. But I guess, you know, because then when she walks out, she makes the comment, uh, they're all whores or whores, all of them or something, making the comment about all the handmaids. And I guess if they do have this low opinion of all these people, all these other women, you know, it kind of has dehumanized them at that point because they are clearly breeding stock to this society. So I just thought that was an interesting scene. Did that? Did anybody else get the Mean Girls vibe from that whole I thing? I didn't until you said it, but it completely fits. I just it mainly made me think about how clearly intentional the society was intentionally the society was structured to turn these different groups against each other. That seems really like an intentional decision. They are, they don't interact really at all. One of them has to. One group has to get permission from the other group to do anything right. at all to speak. I mean, it's so adversarial intentionally. It just made me really aware of how very much like conquering a warring society this takeover was. Like that is how you divide and conquer. Well, you can even see it today. I mean, just in the way that the United States especially is split and how, you know, you see people referring to uh, Mexican immigrants, for example, and there is no, for the people that are so against it, it's almost like you're not talking about a human being because the, the news that those people probably consume and the information they probably get does not treat those people like human beings. Yeah, it makes it... When you start using epithets and things, it's just they're no longer humans in your mind. They're just a group of other... You can do anything to anybody that you... Clearly, you can do anything to anything that you don't... Anybody that you don't think is a person or is equal to you. You can treat them like property. And we've seen that happen clearly with, you know, throughout time with various forms of oppression. And it's just crazy to see, especially today, and it drives me nuts. We go back to uh, the hospital... Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're uh, going to Janine giving birth. So Janine's giving birth. And again, we say Janine is accurate on giving birth. She does an awesome job. This actress that, like, I thought she was cool in the first one because she was kind of crazy and out there. But she kind of dials it up a notch, this performance in this episode specifically. Um, so she amazing. is full on in labor. It is time to push. Everybody is chanting and breathing and chanting and breathing. And the wife comes in and sits behind her in the weird chair. So creepy. Right? So weird. The weird chair was weird. and uh, That chair was described in the book, but seeing it 
being used in practice was just a whole different level of weird. Like, I, I definitely did not accurately imagine how strange that w- would be. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing it on screen acted out. And, like, you know, Janine's busy. <laughs> like, she is not concerned with how strange the situation no. is at the moment. But it just seemed so bizarre that, like, everybody was taking this as normal and just i was just watching it with like eyes the size of saucer slowly shaking my head the whole time like what is happening it was very bizarre so strange. and so the wives come in janine has the baby and there's that moment that you kind of knew was coming where they have to wait to see if it's going to cry because low birth rate bad things going on finally it cries bonus uh and I believe it's like immediately taken away. It was longer than I thought because I was right away like, oh, they're not even going to let her hold the baby. And I don't think they did, but it was a little bit longer where you're just waiting for the baby to be taken away from her. They give her to the wife who has now moved from the floor at the first floor of the house to sitting behind Janine to now she's in the bed. In the bed where Janine was laboring. Where Janine was laboring. So she's kind of... As if she just went through Exactly. Going through this whole bizarre mock ritual of childbirth to make her, I guess, her make her feel better about the fact that she can't and so she just mock does it. That that part was bizarre to me. Yeah, that part was definitely not in the Bible. No. No, Here's my question about the wives. Even I know that. (laughs) About the what? The wives. The because I just then and maybe this is just reading too much into it, but is it if they were all married to the commanders before, right? And then they came into the society, how are there wives who can have children? And how do they all end up barren and yet the women who are their same age are the handmaids and they're it just seems like a little bit too coincidental. So well, there's two big differences in the book. First, in the book, most of the wives and commanders are significantly older, and that's what made so more they're sense like to aging me. out yeah. of having babies anyway. They're beyond aging out of having babies. And also in the book, they mention which they haven't addressed yet at all in the show, and I'm wondering if they're going to leave out is the uh, I forget what their title was, but they were the basically the common wives, the econo wives, econo yeah. wives, oh, yeah, and they they were move. Martha's wives and handmaids in one. They. Yeah. They were responsible for, they were responsible for having babies, cleaning, cooking, making a home, and they were. Well, no, wasn't the that wife. for like the lower? Yes, so income, that's for the le- like less. That's for the less important commanders. men. Like I don't think she talks about. Nick, I think that's just for less important men in society. In the first episode, I was just rewatching it because my wife was watching it, and she talks about Nick and how he's lower on the on the, the totem pole because he hasn't even been assigned a woman yet so Nick yeah. would probably be one that gets assigned the Econo wife who is kind yeah. of the catch-all yes Martha wife handmaid yeah. do-it-all wife I keep I kind of waiting got... for them to be yeah. in the show yeah I've not, I, they've not been mentioned at all I feel like we're we're awfully far in to not have mentioned them yet so maybe they're being left out completely which really does change the dynamic between the upper class wives and the handmaids because there yeah. is not some other like a, you, and Martha's that's your options right there or else you're sent off to die and you get the sense in the book I think that there's really no love lost between the commander and Serena Joy that they don't really have a relationship and in the no. show you feel like there maybe was they yeah, maybe did have she seems that. deeply sad yes which well, makes me yes. feel like they had a real relationship yeah and again I think part of that in the book is due to the fact that they are older so there's longer marriage there so you know you kind of get that vibe yeah of yeah they're married a for a long older. time and maybe the flame has just died out yeah the implication in the book is that they're probably in their late 50s right 
So Janine uh, gives birth. After that, I believe we have the baby napping scene. Oh, wait, sorry. I forgot yes. to bring something up. Sorry. No, the one thing I thought was really odd about this when I was in my half with it. It's all odd. You're talking well, really I mean, like, super, like, the, like. Odd even for okay, this. Okay, so the aunt was there, right? Like, helping out, right? Yes. She was kind of cheering them on. Well, like. and that's the thing that was, like, super awkward to me. Like, she was there, and she was almost, like, Janine was, like, almost comforted that she was there. But yet, this is the woman that literally said, I cattle prodded you, and I took your eye out. Yeah. yeah, and then that's the thing. It's like she's so like I guess quote unquote beaten down or just like mm-hmm. whatever very, that she does like act, Stockholm act, syndrome. Yeah, yeah. like, this like woman she's identifying is, with her oppressor. Yeah, like this woman like it's done all this to me yet like oh she's here to cheer me on now and I completely like wipe out. Well, and you got what happened? I obviously at least right. nine months ago. It, you know. to, some, to some degree, you can write a little bit off off in that she was like hardcore laboring. Right, that's that. what I was so gonna like say. she is just like. Whatever, get this baby out. Yeah, I'm working so, on it. I thought it was awkward that she this was. This is really like hard. She's just like really just, enveloped in what she's doing. It was kind of like, you know, made that even seem even more awkward that that woman's there that. Yeah. Obviously done awful things to probably most of the women that are there. And then. But you got to think that the they, one scene that we've seen, obviously. Yeah. But again, they and are. She's like they, a true believer, it seems like, yeah. too. The ants are the ones that do all these terrible things, but they're also the only ones that kind of show them any affection for lack yeah. of a better term and that they are coming from a place of love and that they're trying to condition them this way because it's what's best for them and they're it's yeah. just their role and this is what god has intended and they're very you know aff- lovey about it that way even though they have to be they're kind of they had the parental role essentially is that yes i love you but sometimes i have to do these terrible things to you not that that's how you're supposed to parent but with in this prods. society with disclaimer prods, that is not how, how any of rolling. us parent so the, the you just thought Aunt Lydia was weird just being there. Well, it was just like the whole like cha- like you know she was like cheering on and trying to calm, but yeah, like the calming influence when obviously she's going through like obviously a traumatic thing, and yet she's the one who caused like traumatic things to her. So it kind of was just like she got her in that situation. Yeah, it was kind of like one of those things where you're like almost yin and yang type thing where you're just like sure both sides of the coin. Where right. Just, yeah, so that's why I thought it was odd. So. And Anne Dowd, especially in that scene where she is just like totally into it and come on girls breathe push <laughs> she just does awesome she has been great like even yeah. re-watching the first part the first episode her performance is just killer she's so into it yes yes and that role is just nuts is for a, like jason was saying just from the polars yeah the swings that, that you have to play with the girls and you know being the, being the muscle and being the heart so now we have the handmade group hug, which is one of my favorite parts. Everybody, your baby's gone. Group hug. Depressing group hug. More for a visual aspect, I think, than really any practical thing there. It was a great shot. Yeah, the cinematography in the show has this, been pretty awesome. It's up, been very yeah. mu- movie-like. Yes. And that's been really the nice production value is outstanding. Like, as good yes, as you will so see... In, we are going to talk about the music. Yes, and we as good as it's anything you fantastic. will see in the theater, in my opinion. Uh, so we get the flashback to the hospital. And this is kind of a messed up scene. So we get to... Uh, <laughs> just give me a look like... Kind of? Kind of. Um, I believe the June gets up, and she is trying to find the baby, and she can't find the baby. She also cannot find the nurse or anyone else. It's very stark. There's not very many people around to begin with, as we said before. 
And she starts kind of panicking because she can't find anybody. And so she get, gets Luke, and they start running around. And the next thing you know, you see this lady who is walking with a baby. And the alarm starts going off prior to that in the hospital. Which, if anybody, for those people who have had kids, know that when you're in a labor ward, any time that... I believe they have a... That's what the bracelet is, right? Mm-hmm. The bracelet is... Yes. The, it says the same thing for you, for the mom and for the right, baby. But it also so nobody has can a leave with the baby alarm except on it. the mother. There is yeah. also an alarm in it usually at whatever hospital you're at that if they leave that certain area that the alarm goes off so you hear that alarm and you're like "Uh uh-oh bad times so then you see the lady and she turns around to talk to june and is talking about how it's her baby and you can clearly she see that something terrible has happened to her that she thinks this is her child and she's obviously disassociated from pretty much everything and they do eventually get it back but it's very intense there because you're not sure where that's going to go um, you know, obviously, she doesn't take her, but you don't know what direction that's going to go and how violent it's going to go because we did just find the nurse laying in a pool of her own blood five seconds ago. So that was a very scary scene that I did not anticipate coming. After that scene, I, I, this this movie was full of flashbacks to me and just it made me think about being in the hospital and like the walking around you do while you're in the hospital before, during laboring and afterward because there is nothing else to do. Um. I found myself really thinking about like the experience of being in the hospital and how creepy it would have been to walk out and see nobody. And her husband wasn't there. Like she woke up and he was not there in the room. He had gone off to get like a snack and coffee or something. And she didn't know where he was. And she walked out of the room and it was, she was alone and doesn't know where the baby is. And I think that must be every parent's nightmare. I mean, it's just that early on. Yeah. And yeah, especially that early on. And with a first child, you, you feel like you don't know what you're doing and like, you might be fucking it all up and like, everything's (laughs) going to be horrible. Like most people feel like that the first time I think. And that's literally probably something that most parents probably have a nightmare about. Sure. That's, it was just so realistically depicted. It was truly disturbing. And again, it adds another layer of, this is how bad the birth yeah. plague part has gotten for society is that this woman is wandering around a hospital stealing a baby. After that, we are back to Janine, who is nursing. That scene is messed up because she's singing Three Little Birds to the kid while she's doing it, and you just feel terrible for her because you know that she doesn't get to see this child other than to basically nurse it, and then the the wife kind of comes and grabs it away. I was waiting for somebody to bust into the room and like start beating her for singing or something. <laughs> So then we, um, let's move on to the commander scene. So we've finally gotten to the evening where it is time for her to meet the commander. And she just still doesn't know why. And she's giving this great monologue as she's walking down the hallway about how she feels like she's the girlfriend in the horror movie that's looking in the basement and is going, Justin, are you down there? Spoiler alert. I'm not down there. I'm hanging out. Um, so she gets down there and is talking about how that girl is always the moron because who goes in the basement in the dark in the horror movie, which is the thing you never do. And so she's like, please don't let me be a moron as she gets to the door. She opens the door and walks in for the commander. We are introduced finally to the commander's study, I guess, is more or less what it is. Kind of a den library area that is stocked with books and all kinds of, you know, paraphernalia and things from, you think, like, it, I don't know, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, it's various, like, it looks like a museum in there, basically. And so she sits down and they have this conversation and... He asks her, would you like to play a game? And she kind of looks like, what do you mean? And then he pulls out a Scrabble box. And so now it's time for the world's most awkward game of Scrabble. 
as it is in the book because you're like why does this dude want to play scrabble with me um so they cut to the scrabble scene because that's really where we go with this and the scrabble scene is great because they pull out the game and they're flipping the tiles and it's all very like very surreal and you can it's given from her viewpoint of show she is so excited to see this this game that has letters on it and they show the tiles in front of her as she's picking them out and she's making words with them in front of her because they don't get to see any they can't read so they can't do anything so it is like this pleasure derived from this mundane you know game that you would play like with your family back when things were normal yeah. the time before it's one of those say. things that like not only do people take for granted those kinds of things but like People are like, ugh, playing Scrabble again. Whatever. Maybe I can cut out early. And it in this situation, it's like the most joyous thing that she's seen in ages. Yes, and she, she takes great pleasure from it. And the commander is very pleasant to her. There is no... I didn't get a... I think she is the character. She's still obviously got to have this paranoia vibe of when is the other shoe going to drop. But the viewer doesn't necessarily get that at all. He comes off as very genuine and very kind of um, father figure esque. Like I just kept wondering what was going on between him and Serena that that he wasn't playing Scrabble with her because we we never see them interact, and it's not like he has ever interacted on a personal level with with. Oh, it's hard for me to even call her June. I'm still bugged by the fact that we know her name. I don't know if I like that or not. So. There's got to be something else going on, right? Like he, is she such a rule follower that she would never do that? Is she, like, is their marriage actually really terrible? But there's, there you don't quite understand, I think, why he needs to do this particular thing. With well, there is a funny family. line with Oglin earlier that I'm just remembering where she's talking about the commander wants to see me. And Oglin's first response is, well, maybe he just wants a blowjob. Sometimes they're into things like that. And so... It, that was th- my that, first thought. It, <laughs> Your first thought was that sexual favors? Yes. Outside and that would be of, yes. more that was totally my first sense, thought. Right? Yes. That would make more sense. You're right. It's more like appropriate to the situation like, than Scrabble. I, yeah. I guess if you had a million guesses, Scrabble not even <laughs> on the list. Uh so they play and she wins uh but doesn't beat him by very much and she said she was out of practice so clearly she's a Scrabble fanatic player. Like and Roxanne then, Gay. I'd like to add. Yes, in. Roxanne Gay. That was one of the things, like in uh, Bad Feminist, where she does this whole essay on her Scrabble, competitive Scrabble tournaments that she takes place in. Semi-professional. Semi-professional yeah. Scrabble player. So I did think of that when we were watching that. Um, so we get done with that scene, and they talk about her beating him, and he's like, "We should have a rematch." And she she makes this quick uh, little quip of I'll check my schedule and they both kind of look at each other and she's kind of thinking oh was that the wrong thing to say and he just kind of plays it off they walk away and I believe they shake hands right yeah it was a very weird slow handshaking and I thought that was interesting because like it was kind of like that he initiated yes and so the way I took it I don't know how you took it um, was that I think in my head could be wrong that he's trying to get closer to her since he does have to do this thing with her every two weeks out of a month, we assume, um, with the ceremony. So maybe that he is maybe a little more sensitive version of the of one of these guys and that he's trying to at least give her some comfort level mm-hmm. with him. That he's going to bring her in and you know play this game that maybe, as Rhea said, that he can't do with his wife because she won't because maybe she's the rule follower and this would be very much against 
anything that they had, but also to give her like, okay, I know we have to do this horrible thing, and maybe he thinks it's horrible, and that her, they're getting closer kind of makes it a little less horrible, as less horrible oh. as it can be. I don't wouldn't, know. Wouldn't it be more horrible to get closer to the woman that you have to have sex with in front of your wife? Yeah. That's why I thought it was more this story's version of a guy cheating on his wife. Ah, yeah. then that makes sense. Because, like, obviously, you know, obviously words, on you can't, like, that's forbidden, and all that like, he's doing is forbidden. But, you know, so yes. that's, like, Ooh, that's a good thought. Obviously, so, version of yeah. like in this story, obviously, right? Because you know, in your normal story, the sex part of it would be the forbidden thing, but they're already doing that. So now the talking and reading and playing Scrabble is kind of because the obviously thing. when they're doing the ceremony, it's very just like uh-huh. I, I guess it's quote by I guess it by the book, but just like very like works. It's like a business transaction. Yeah, it's very yeah, it's very certain. Like yes. okay, I, here it's, here it's for the, the purpose the of wife reproduction. Is here she does this, I do this, and. then... You know, it's very like, yeah. Yes. Like, beep, yeah. I say beep by beep, but I don't know if it really makes sense. <laughs> oh, that's not God. good. <laughs> oh, that's good. I did not think yeah. about that, but that is probably far closer to uh, the truth than mine. I didn't really think of either of those things specifically, but I was thinking about how lonely everybody must be in this world. And, like, maybe this is just his, like, reaching out and, like, trying to, like, have any kind of connection with another human. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, like, why aren't, why isn't his marriage like that? I want to yeah, know. That's true. If they were married before and they got to keep the spouse that they had chosen before, then what's going on with all of these commanders and wives that they don't, that none of them seem to have that? But have we seen um, the commander and his wife in the same room and interacting no. with each other more than just no. during just- the ceremonies and introducing off to them the only other the only other scene where they're together is at the end or the kind of towards the end of the first episode where all the commanders are meeting in that meeting room and oh yeah serena joy just happens to be in there as they're walking out and they see each other so wow now after we leave the room she goes back to her room and just starts just basically a scene of her laughing her ass off because she's like oh my god i was worried about all of this and we played friggin scrabble and how ridiculous it is. And so you as the viewer, like they're building up this whole thing. It's awful. They build up this whole episode to make you feel Life a little death. bit more comfortable and give her a little bit of optimism. And she's kind of joining the resistance at this point. And she's feeling better about the commander in an odd sort of way, as good as you can feel about it. And so she, they get to one of the best parts of anything I've seen recently, which is her walking out of the walking down the steps to don't you forget about me by simple minds, like in breakfast club. And it was outstanding. Like, and she's thinking like all these yes. positive thoughts. And she's like, she's like, uh, Glenn is going to be so proud of me. I got information that I can tell her. And yeah, oh, yeah he was going to DC for yeah, right, she did. Yeah, because she right. did. She did, and yes, she seemed he, like really uncomfortable doing it. I was that like, was the other part. No, yeah, because that was the part where he mentioned I'm going to be out of town next yeah. week, so we'll play where next week going? when we come back. But she's walking down the steps, and she's got kind of this defiant look on her face, like feeling really good about herself. And she sees Nick, and the question that she poses in her head to Nick is, does he care what happens? Like, yeah. does Nick think that her and the commander were fooling around? And she's like, he totally cares what happens. Like, she, you can tell that she kind of thinks that Nick is into her. And then swiftly, I might add, as good as you were feeling about yourself, you are feeling terrible. Because you get to the end of the uh, sidewalk, go into the gate, and pow. New of Glenn. 
What's great too, though, is that you don't see it head on. They're actually she actually starts talking, and then then you see the power. I think of the wings that they wear because yes. she doesn't yes. realize it at first because she just looks like an, any other person in that position. It's not until she realizes she's gone off script because the other woman responds with whatever the scripted line is there. Yes. That you know that it's not. And the other fun. woman gives this just the, she has this look on her face like. <clears throat> I, and I don't know if I'm just breeding into it because I'm the viewer and you know that she, that Ovglen is gone because she got in trouble. But this new Ovglen who says, when she asks, she goes, where's Ovglen? And the last line is, I am Ovglen. And you're like, oh, well, that can't be good. Yeah. Uh, but she does have this look on her face like, how are you going to react to this? Like this very, uh, the very much the facial expression of the other actress was like, hmm, I am Ovglen. What do you think about that? And you're like, oh, this is bad. And so, as swiftly as you were built up by this, like, good feelings that she was having and the resistance and her feeling kind of rebellious, you are just punched in the gut big time with the loss of Avglen, which ends episode two, which is one of the more intense viewing experiences I've had in a long time. Yeah, I really also thoroughly enjoyed the music choice as i did at the end of the first episode as well yes with and the, you don't that, own me i don't even know what the yeah. song is called because i didn't meet, think to write it down or look it up that yeah. their use of the music at the very end is kind of going to be one of those yeah. things as a theme and i love that i love it too and the the original score happening during the show is so different than the music choices they use to close or like the um don't you forget about me started playing well before the very end of the show like it felt like part of the episode not part of the closing um what they're doing like the juxtaposition between those two things is really interesting and kind of like jerks me back and forth between like this could be anytime no this is totally now or this could be anywhere and this is very specific it's really neat and i'm so glad they did it even though the first time i saw it watching the first episode um, I was like, ah, oh, this is very jarring. I don't know what I think about this. But upon the second viewing of the first episode, and now having watched two and three, I am thoroughly a fan of it, and I think it's amazing. The song choices have song just been choices so been on great. point. Now I know what you're thinking, Justin. That is a really abrupt way to end a podcast, and you're correct. I'll be honest. We thought that we were going to be able to do a uh, shorter show one show over episodes two and three but there was so much to talk about that we had to actually split it up into two full episodes and just the way the recording worked that's the ending you got so stay tuned for episode three coming up after this but right now i want you to listen to part two of our interview with john marcotte of heroicgirls.com at the conclusion of part one of our interview with john marcotte from heroicgirls.com we talked briefly about the controversy at Marvel, who had done really good things in the areas of diversity and bringing in more female superheroes, and how someone higher up in their company had allegedly talked about the fact that that had not worked and that sales were not being increased and that it was time to go back to a more traditional superhero landscape of male superheroes and getting back to more traditional storylines. So John also wanted to let us know what the big problem is with comics as a whole. And the industry. Uh, the big problem that traditional superhero comics had is that they completely abandoned the retail market a while ago, and they went right. only uh, to specialty shops. You have to go to a comic book store to find comic books. When I was a kid, I would find superhero comics at the grocery store or at Seven Eleven. Uh, that's how I fell in love with comics. I would go to the grocery store with my mom, and she would drop me off in front of the uh, like little magazine rack, and I would read comic books there while 
She shopped for groceries and then picked me up again. Um, the major companies, everybody actually, all the comic book superhero companies have just left that market. So there's not really a great way to introduce new readers, and, and attracting women is a new audience for them. So even when they put out this content that would appeal to, I think, a lot of women and girls, they're having a hard time figuring out how to get that content in front of, in front of them so that they can experience it and find out that they love it. Um, the movies certainly prove that women will uh, react to these characters. They've, they've had a lot of success. Uh, Absolutely. In, in attracting, uh, particularly show, uh, uh, movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, where a significant percentage of the cast is female. So, yeah, yeah it's a uh, – uh, um, I think that's basically the problem. Marvel pushed into this area saying, we're going to attract women in and get – you know, we'll pick up some there. And uh, we're going to broaden the, the audience base of comics. Comics will die if, it does, if they don't start growing pretty fast. Their base is yeah, dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. They used to sell millions of copies of every issue. Um, that just doesn't happen anymore. And right. uh, I think they slit their own throat by not giving themselves any way for new people to enter unless, like, their dad is into it and brings them into the store or something like that. The only way right. is it, uh, it, that it is very much a, like, members-only club almost. Yeah, where, like, it's a members-only club. to get in. <laughs> and what of that members-only club? What share of the blame do the readers take? What is the issue with comic book audiences, and change. I, I hate to uh, stereotype, but comic book lovers, are, are we're a bunch of nerds. And uh, one thing nerds uh, love is minutia and trivia and don't like change. You know, they, uh, And I think what has happened with Marvel is they made a lot of changes to large characters really quickly. And so the purists, you know, that want these characters to kind of remain frozen in amber forever – Hated it. They hated the fact that uh, that you know Thor was a woman or or that Captain right. America was black, and they came up with all sorts of reasons uh, why they didn't like that, and they uh, reacted negatively to it. And on the flip side, you know, uh, I don't think Marvel had a great strategy to pick up the new viewers who I think are new readers who I definitely think are out there. And so yeah. some of the sales didn't work out as well as they would uh, like because there was an in. Because characters were getting sidelined, like Iron Man. Iron Man's been sidelined sure. in favor of a, a, a black teenage girl. Um, right. Iron Man fans reacted negatively. There weren't a lot of, uh, you know, African American girls coming into comic shops to find this new character that would really appeal to them. I feel so there wasn't a way to get it in there, so they didn't pick up anything on the backside. Um, and so it's a systemic problem until you figure out a way to get these kind of products in front of more people of color, more women, uh, you're going to have a problem. Every time you move away from this kind of uh, white uh, male paradigm, the purists are going to uh, pitch a hissy fit, and sure. uh, you're not picking up anything on the back end. But that doesn't mean right. that shouldn't be done. When you have somebody like Kamala Khan, who did not have the bear the burden of having replaced a popular male hero, um, it shows that you know, the, the negative reaction went away, and when left on their own merits, uh, people will respond positively. I'm going to go out there and say the, the the female Thor and the female Wolverine run, both of which I've been reading, are fantastic. Wolverine's been boring for about a couple decades now because there's just so much dark and gritty that you can get in the world. Right. And I have, loved, I have loved that, you know, X-23, his, you know, clone, uh, mm -hmm. they put her in his shoes, 
and it's allowing you to tell different kinds of Wolverine stories. I think it's fantastic. It's better than Wolverine has been in years. And, uh, you know, I don't follow the numbers. I'm always surprised when the book gets canceled and the rug gets pulled out from under me. But right. I'm really hoping people are reading that because it's just a great story. And, and Thor, uh, the, uh, the, the current female Thor is also, it's the same creative team that was writing the very critically acclaimed male Thor earlier. And this was a story they wanted to tell, and they're doing a great job of it. It's, uh, the new Thor is a lot of fun. Uh, it's, again, very, very well written, and there's no reason not to enjoy these stories other than kind of pettiness. Uh, you know, I'm sure uh, we already have the male Thor back, and I'm sure at some point they will bring back uh, the Logan version of Wolverine. But, you know, just enjoy these stories while you got them. It's, it's, what they're doing now is actually really good, and I think, you know, people should give it more of a chance. And then Jordan brought up a really good point about the hypocrisy of some of the claims of people not liking the change. Well, people, you know, say, oh, yeah, that's the big problem is that we don't like, you know, the change of things. But when you have things like uh, Bucky Barnes becomes Captain America for a couple of years, don't remember much of an outcry. Or when, uh, even when after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when Barry Allen died and Wally West became the Flash for a decade. There were a few people that like, oh, I kind of like Barry better, but you didn't have these protests. Uh, you know, so, you know, saying that, oh, I just love the original character, uh, that's part of it. But when the character's race or gender changes, that's when all of a sudden people seem to get upset. Uh, and, you know, there's also, the, you know, I have kind of a theory. It's like, you know, comic books uh, characters are like a bus. You know, there's a bus of comic book characters. We can only love so many when and, and you keep expanding then there's just too many small ones that, 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 you know, are okay, but there's only a certain number of titles that can be published. You know, there's only a, right. uh, there's a limited amount people are going to buy. So if you pack the bus full of white men in the 40s and 60s, and then there's like two or three spots left over for everybody else, uh, you're never going to achieve like that kind of vision of a, a comic book world that more reflects uh, the real world around us. Um, if we have to keep this, you know, uh, white male Justice League, you know, all the characters that were in there, uh, we have to keep them, then there are very few, uh, they're going to publish all those titles, and then there's only going to be a couple that are available for anybody who's not white and male. That completes part two of our three-part interview with John Marcotte, creator of HeroicGirls.com. Tune in next time for part three, the final part in our interview where we talk to him about being a man speaking on feminist issues, his TED Talk, and the future of heroic girls. Thanks for listening to this edition of Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. You can find us on Twitter at at Handmaid Podcast. You can find us on Instagram as well and on Facebook. On behalf of everyone here at the show, thanks and we'll see you next week.